We're finishing up. There's the solution. I forgot to add that on uh, Wednesday night we finished the uh, sex inventory, and we're going to be looking at the uh, promises in the fourth step, and we'll be reading the final pages on uh, how it works. It's great stuff. On Saturday, we started working with others yesterday, and we covered a few pages, and I, I thought it was really, uh, we had a lot of good information there. So if you can join us Saturday, 9.15, Wednesday, 7.30. Uh, we're on there as a solution on the Sunday night meeting. We started the book over, and we, we read last week about Roland Hazard and Dr. Young and where we got the idea of the spiritual solution. And uh, Dr. Young... Uh, uh, talked to Roland, and Roland came back to the United States. He joined the Oxford group. I read some of the information about the Oxford group uh, last week. I'll review some of that another time. I'm going to put together a talk on the Oxford group, and I'm going to put together a talk on the books that they used to write the big book, and some of the uh, ideas that uh, came, and also uh, from Emmett Fox on the Golden Key to Prayer. And if you're interested, you can get on silkworth.net, and they have a great site there, and he has under on the side, he has influential books used, and you can push on it. You can get the book. He has all the books, and you can push on the book name, and they'll have the book in there, the whole PDF. It's great, great stuff. So now we're at the point where uh, Roland Hazard, we talked about that last week, and... Um, on, and he was told uh, the solution. I'll just uh, review that on page 27. And uh, Rowan got drunk after a year of therapy. And uh, he came back. Three, he got drunk after three days or so. There's some stories he made it from Switzerland to Paris. Some said he got, he got drunk in Switzerland. I don't think it matters. The point is that he uh, came back to see Dr. Young. And Dr. Young said, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I've never seen one single case recover where that state of mind existed to the extent that it does in you. And one thing yesterday, we were talking, working with others, and I thought Ed made the point, we don't, we don't make it enough here that we're dealing with a fatal disease. We're dealing with something that's uh, really a matter of life or death here at AA. This is serious stuff. And, and uh, sometimes we kind of focus on the words, but we forget the real, the real problem is our, is our fatal nature of our disease without God. And so the doc, he said the doctors are no exception. He says, yes, exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times. They called it a vital spiritual experience. These occurrences are phenomena. That means they can't be explained. And it take, he says these people have a huge emotional displacement and rearrangement of their personality. There's a whole change in their whole personality. The ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were the guiding forces of their lives, that's called old ideas, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. We go from self-centered to God-centered. Um, it says he tried to produce the emotional rearrangement with him, but he's never been successful with an alcohol of his, this description. And he thought, well, he'd been to church, so he would, he would be okay, but he told them that his religious convictions were very good. They did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. We point out a lot of people have given their lives to uh, uh, certain religious uh, uh, deities and prayed and been drunk the same day. And so that isn't enough for an alcoholic. 
And it says, here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend on page 28 found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which as we have already told you, made him a free man. And I talked in detail last week about how Roland came back. He went to the Calvary Church with Reverend Shoemaker. He worked with Abby Thatcher. Abby Thatcher uh, took the Oxford group steps. The fourth step was to witness and testimony. And uh, he, he thought of Bill W. He was only 60 days sober. Uh, he went to see Bill. We're here today. And so, um, then that experience with Bill and Dr. Bob and the first 40 to 80 people are written down in this book. And we're reading their experience and what they did, what happened to them and what they did, and with specific directions. And since I didn't have a plan that worked for me, I decided to do this plan. And when I did that, and I've done this plan, my life is, uh, is okay today. And I have to continue to keep doing it. And this is why we study this book, because it has the specific directions on what they did and the result they had was they were recovered from alcoholism and they went from a hopeless condition of mind and body to a spiritual life. And they had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And if you have that, then you have a relationship with the power and you have access to power to live. And right before you think you're going to take a drink, that power will say, bad idea. And so um, now we're going to read some really powerful information that they're going to give us to finish this their solution. It says, we in our turn, the authors of the book, sought the same escape that Roland did with all the desperation of drowning men. Um, when you feel like you're drowning, it's not fun. Um, we discovered, I guess, the somebody discovered this waterboarding, which uh, is just, you make people feel like they're drowning. and. Uh, they're just in a room tilted back with something over their face and they just pour water on them and, and it's a horrible form of torture. I hope I never have to experience it. But I remember swimming in the ocean and you get under the undertow and they kind of pull you back and you get, the waves would come over you. You guys grew up in Kansas, but I grew on the East Coast, I, many of you. But it's really frightening. And if you've ever been in an undertow and you feel like you're losing control, it's a horrible feeling. Now, people who are drowning, actually drowning, they're fairly desperate. And so they sought the same escape from their alcoholism that with the desperation of drowning men. That's why we ask people, are you completely defeated when you come here? You know, is it just you're having a bad day or are you just completely done? Have you completely surrendered that you can't, you can't find a solution to your problem? And it says, what seemed at first a flimsy read, now think about that, you're, you're drowning and you come here and this seems a flimsy read. And it, you grab it because you don't have anything else to grab. And it's, it's proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And we just said God can and would if he has sought. And so we, we come in here and we see AA maybe as a flimsy read. How is this possibly going to get me out of this drowning predicament? You know, look at these people. Uh, uh, look at what they're talking about. But, if, but after a while, if you do the steps, and you come here and you stick with the program and the fellowship, you feel the loving and powerful hand of God. And that is what I consider a good example of a spiritual experience. To have, to have, to have the, the consciousness of the loving and powerful hand of God in your life. And it says it very well in the big book. It says, when we look back, the things that happened when I placed myself in God's hands are better than anything I could have 
predicted. Now, there's a key to that. I have to place myself in God's hands. And so the AA program is how we prepare ourselves for God's guidance and leadership. Just saying, God, guide me and help me isn't the deal. The deal is to prepare ourselves by facing and be rid of the things that are blocking me from God so that he can then direct me. And then it says, I have a new life that's been given me. Or if you prefer a design for living that really works. And they say it's a design for living that works under any circumstances. And so it's a design for living, but you have to follow the design. And it says, then they're talking about uh, William James in his book, Varieties of Religious Experience. I had an old idea that it's very hard to read. So of course I haven't read it. Get the picture? But, I, but I'm, I'm actually going to uh, buy it on Amazon and re try to read it. Uh, it's, it's a very uh, erudite uh, uh, treatise on, uh, on this religious experience. And what he did was, in around 1908, I believe, he decided to study a variety of religions and study the religious experience. And he found that they all had one thing in common, that they had developed a, uh, rela a relationship with God. And that's what he called this uh, spiritual experience or spiritual awakening. And so the, in the big book, in the first edition, they called it spiritual experience. And then they, we're going to read, if we have time, there's in the back of the book, either today or next week, we're going to read the spiritual experience, the appendix, where they describe what it is. And it's, and it's the multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. And so we're talking here in AA is how we discover a relationship with God. Now, what I didn't realize when I came in here, but I learned from uh, the big book and from uh, working the steps, is that God is inside all of us that says that. And that the highway to God is broad, all-inclusive, not, in, not exclusive, open to all who seek him. And uh, I found that the God was already inside of me, and I had blocked him out with my self-centeredness. I had chosen to separate myself from God. And so, now we're going to see how we discover the power inside of us when we get out of the way. In AA, I heard somebody say, you don't learn anything here. You only learn about what you're wrong about. And you uncover and discover all those things that isn't the truth. It says, we have no desire to convince anyone, I'm reading again on 28, uh, that there's only one way by which faith can be acquired. I think that's important to remember. Sometimes we get spiritually arrogant. I'm sure I've been a I've done it. We feel like we have the only way. You know, if you don't do it this way, you're not going to make it. But that's not true. We don't know. God has uh, multiple ways up to the, to the uh, path of God. But what AA does have is a path that worked for them. So if you follow this path, nobody, you won't fail. So if you're out your path and your attempts to follow your own path didn't work, we don't say that there aren't any others, but try this and see, if it, see what happens. So A is telling you to do an, ex an experiment. You've tried your way. Look at your life. If, uh, if, if that hasn't worked, try this way and tell us if it works. And they're not, we don't say this is the only way that works, but, but we, we think this will work if you do it. We kind of guarantee it. Um, if what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, and this is very powerful lines, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, are the children of a living creator. So we're, you know, we say our Father, we say that prayer at the end of the meeting, the, the first two words are the most powerful, we're all dad's kids. We're all God's kids. And I think 
Chuck C says it really well in his new pair of glasses, how we're all, we're all God's kids. We're all together. We all have our personalities. And it says, um, children of a living creator. And the creator is actually alive inside of all of us with whom I may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms. So that's what we're trying to do, have a relationship with this power. And the right relationship, which was God is God and I'm, I'm the uh, son and he's the dad. And the relationship I had was I was God and he was there to help me get what I wanted. Now, that didn't always work. In fact, it didn't work at all. <coughs> And as we're going to read later in the book, it says we had to stop playing God. That's the first requirement of the third step decision. And, it's, and we can form this simple and understandable relationship as soon as I'm willing and honest enough to try. We use the words honesty and willingness a lot. It's in, uh, it's in uh, how it works. Honest is in three times in the first paragraph. It says you're willing to go to any length. So if you're willing to go any length and you're honest enough to try, then you can have a relationship with God. It's not that complicated. People think AA is very complicated, it's very simple. The fourth step everybody talks about is very simple. It's four or five pages, very specific instructions. Five is you admit it to God, yourself, and another person, which you've learned in the fourth step. Six and seven is where you're willing to have God change your personality from self-centered to God-centered. Eight and nine, you make amends. We went through 10 and 11, shows 10 how you live all day long with God, there's one paragraph gives you all the instructions. Then there's three pages on how you pray and meditate. It's not a complicated program at all. And somebody said the big book seems complicated, but it says a few simple things many times. And so there's the same basic theme uh, throughout this book. Those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their belief for ceremonies. There's no friction among us over such matters. We think it no concern of ours what religious bodies our member identify themselves with as individuals. This should be an entirely personal affair which each one decides for himself in the light of past associations or his present choice. Not all of us join religious bodies, but most of us favor such membership. Now in the following chapter, there's going to be an exp explanation of alcoholism. So they, they had doctor's opinion which told us about our allergy to the body and obsession of the mind, how we seek alcohol, we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol when we're irritable, restless, and discontented. And then when our mind gets that idea, nothing can come between us and the drink. And then we keep doing it over and over again. But they're gonna, then in Bill's story, they gave an example of somebody who had this disease, what happened to him and, and uh, uh, the steps he took to achieve recovery. And then in There's a Solution, which we're reading now, they talk about the spiritual solution. They also hammered home on the first five pages the problem with our body, it can never be fixed, and our mind, we can never, on our own, keep from taking the next drink. And then they give us a ch an explanation of alcoholism, uh, in, in, in the next chapter, more about alcoholism, which is designed to really only do one thing. It's designed to tell you that no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's a good day or a bad day, that you will never have defense against alcoholism or the next drink on your own power. And they give us four examples, the Jay Walker, Fred, Jim, and the man of 30. And so, 
and they want to hammer that home. Why? Because the next chapter is called Chapters the Agnostic, which is about God. So they're preparing you. If you have no defense uh, on your own, no human power can relieve it, then we better look at, look at God. And, they, and the chapter of the agnostic is brilliant, and we're going to go through it, and it tells us where God is, how we find God, and what choices we make. And it says, many who once were in this class are now among our members. And the difference between agnostic and, uh, as explained by Joe and Charlie, and I think they really helped, at least I, I, I agree with it, is someone who, who, uh, who prays and believes in God but has never allowed God to work in their life. They don't have knowledge of God. And agnostic means those without knowledge of God. And so the big book talks about the bridge from belief to faith. And we go to get faith by doing the actions of the steps. And so uh, they break the, uh, the process of change into five steps. The first one is, uh, you're, are you willing to change? And we become willing to change by our first step. Anybody come here and their life was kind of a mess and they didn't want to go on anymore and they were willing to do anything to have a good day and be relieved of all their problems. Now, most people come in with that. The problem is a lot of people rebuild their ego so quickly that they can't make it. But, but uh, complete willingness, and they say it's based upon how much pain you've had, how much you've suffered and whether you're completely defeated or not. The second process in change is to believe you can change. And AA tells us you can believe you can change because you look around the room. And Rachel probably believed when she came that she could change, that there were people here who had changed. And they told her, told them about her, themselves and they worked with her. And now after 30 days, she wants to change. So we believe that we can change by looking around the room. And the chapter to the agnostic tells us all we need to do is be willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself that can change me. That's not too hard, is it? It seems yeah. pretty easy. But for alcoholics to give up on themselves, completely give up on themselves as the answer is very hard. And then the third thing that you need to do if you're going to change is decide to change. You're going to make a decision to change. And we do that in our third step. We're not going to play God anymore. We don't want to live this way. We want to have God relieve us from our self-centeredness. Anybody think that's a good idea? Yes. So when you've done the first three steps, what's happened? Nothing. <coughs> You're still the same way. Then you have to take the actions in step four through nine. And then if you do that, then you have uh, faith. And you have faith in step 10 on page 84 when it says you're in the world of the spirit. And we read the promises at every meeting. They're the ninth step promises. They only come true if you've done the work in four through nine and you have true faith. And then it says we suddenly realize God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We have knowledge of God. Does this make sense? And then 11 is how we, we continue to improve our conscious contact with God and stay connected. It says we find on page 29, we find such convictions, no great obstacle to a spiritual experience. So if you don't like the word God, and you don't like God, and you don't like this or that, it's no convictions. They're not a great obstacle as long as you're willing to let go of them. It says as long as you're willing to let go of prejudice, be willing and honest, then, then the road is open to you to God. Now it says further on, clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. So that's what the rest of the book is all about. Clear-cut directions. They're not muddied here. They're very simple, very straightforward. 
That's why we read the book here. We follow, we go through the directions, and, and, and the hope is that you'll do them, and then you'll have the result. And when I follow the directions, my days are really good. And when I, when I wander a little bit, I get like jolts, where I'm back at the self, and I say, oh, uh, you know, I have fear, or I'm angry about something. I say, gee, I have to get back to you, God, get back in the now, get, say the prayer for fear, say the prayer for anger. And, they, and they, then they followed the book with 42 personal experiences. And I saw where they, there was this book that they used to write the big book where this uh, guy had this witnessing at the end. And they wanted to write a big book because they wanted people to buy it and think it was great, so they added the stories. And the Salvation Army also had a, a book of testimony where they had testimonies. And so they thought that would be a good idea to write these stories. Now, you don't want to hear all the shenanigans that went on with those stories in the first book because most of the people didn't write it. They had people write it for them. They had ghostwriters. Uh, some of them weren't sober by the time the book was printed, but, but the idea was good and the stories are all very good. They're very reflective. And then it says each individual, and this is really, I believe, what you're supposed to say, tell when you do your talk. And I always ask people how you're letting God do it when they get their birthday. It says, each individual's personal story subscribes in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. That's what we're interested in hearing and seeing how you establish your relationship with God, especially if you're giving a talk, because then people who are out there who are suffering will want to do what you did. And you tell them the results of having your relationship with God. And they, it says, these give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what actually happened in their lives. So uh, we assume everybody got here had problems drinking and using or whatever. But what happened? How did you establish your relationship with God? What actually happened in your lives? Has there been a change? And it says, we hope no one will consider these self-serving accounts of bad taste. And here it is, our hope. This is their hope when they wrote the book is that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need will see these pages. And we believe that it is only by fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I'm one of them too, I must have this thing. That's what the book's supposed to be about. Powerful stuff. And so the next chapter, more about alcoholism, uh, we're not gonna read tonight. I thought I'd read spiritual experience really quick and that'll take about five minutes or so although I'm never fast that wasn't a joke by the way uh, but the spiritual experience in the back on page 567 was put there because people thought unless they saw flashing lights that they weren't having the, the right experience and um, it says, suddenly, at the end of the promises, we realize God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Your experience could be suddenly, and it's always suddenly you realize that, but it could be slowly or it can be suddenly. And so um, it's different for different people. I have spiritual experiences all the time when I change my mind about things, when I see the, uh, the truth about things, when I can see the truth about my fear and my anger. I say, well, gee, you know, where that idea come from? It comes from God. It says the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading, Joe and Charlie make the point that alcoholics never read carefully. 
but upon careful reeling shows that the personality change, I'm going to change my personality, the way I think, sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. And what that means is I'm going to see things differently. I won't see them the way I used to see them, self-centered. I'm going to see them differently. I'm going to have a different way of perceiving things. And I'm going to, have to, and I'm going to know when I'm seeing them wrong. And then I have tools by working the steps so that I can see things the way God sees them. Basically, I get a new pair of glasses that I have to take off the old glasses all the time, put the new glasses on. And I may wake up in the morning and start with the new glasses, and then suddenly the old glasses are on. And I have to stop and take the old glasses off and put the new glasses on. And we do it all day long. It says, it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression of these personality changes. You see the word changes here about seven or eight times. Uh, these ch personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, notice the word recovery, not recovering, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed by a vast change in feeling and outlook. And so, once again, uh, this God consciousness, is it immediate or does it take time? But the spiritual awakening is when you are, have conscious contact with God. Step 11 says what? We're trying to improve on it. We're trying to improve all the time on our conscious contact with God, get closer to God. And it says, among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Transformation is another word for change. Most of our experience of what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. I think that how long it takes depends on how much work you're doing. Because uh, somebody said the promises, it says, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Anybody heard that? And then everybody chants, right? But who determines how quick or slow it is? Somebody posed that question. You know, are you doing the steps slowly or quickly? Are you seeking God? How much, or how, what lengths are you willing to go through? It made, I don't know if it's true, but it made sense to me. And so uh, we, can, we can control that by how much we're willing to do and how willing we're get the clo closer to God. <coughs> Quite often the uh, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. People will react to you differently. Uh, he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration. Finally is whenever it's suddenly. So whenever you finally realize that you've undergone a profound alteration in your reaction to life. And, and that's how well, you could see where you're wrong. You could see how your fear is wrong. You could see how your anger is wrong. You could see your behavior. You could, you could see the change the way you react to things. Um, that such a change, there's the word again, could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource. That's what we're trying to do here, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than ourselves. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to tap into the power. The power is available. Remember it said 
that we get a kit of spiritual tools. Anybody remember that? Now the tools are very good, but they just carrying them around won't help you unless you plug them in. Now they have to be plugged into the right socket. They can't be plugged into the Michael socket. They have to be plugged into the God socket. And so I have these kit of tools, and if I use these tools and I plug them into God, they'll give me power in my life. And if you're just carrying them around, they're not plugged in. They're just not going to help you. You can know the big book great and be full of anger and fear. And, um, and, and drink. Somebody talked about somebody who knew the book well and went, well, of course, if you don't have an access to God, you have no power greater than yourself that's going to give you the power not to drink. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. So you're aware, you're conscious, too. Uh, Chuck C. said the problem is conscious separation and the problem is conscious contact. And your conscious is here, it's inside of you. And I consciously in my mind separate from this power. So he draws the circle of the world and everybody in it. And then he puts the alcoholic out here. And who puts the alcoholic out here? I do. I put myself out here. I consciously separate from the world and everything in it. See, if God is everything, everybody believe God is everything? Raise your hand. Yeah. Well, if he is, he's everywhere. So how do we separate? Well, I tell myself a story that I'm in charge. And we do it all the time. We do it without even realizing it for most of our lives. And so uh, we separate, and then the steps are designed to bring you back to God. And then you may separate, and then it brings you back. And it says, we call this God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in light of our experience can recover. So if any of you want to honestly face your problems, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated. So here's what you have to do to get better. You have to honestly face your problems and be open to all spiritual concepts. And if you want to die, you're defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. Religion denies us a nice way of saying, we don't want to let go of what we want to do. And have you ever tried to talk to someone with belligerent denial and try to help them? We saw it this morning. We saw it right before the meeting. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. And, and a lot of the members here have quoted this. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. But these are indispensable. Essential but indispensable. I have to be willing, I have to be honest, and I have to be open-minded. I say the set-aside prayer. I have to be open-minded. What does it say? I have to let go of my old ideas? Absolutely. Because my old ideas are what separate me from the truth. And these are indispensable. And then this is Herbert Spencer. Herbert Spencer apparently never wrote this. Sorry. Uh, Herbert Spencer was actually a Darwinian scientist in the 1800s. And um, they, I, I was listening to someone and they quoted this, but they said he probably didn't write this. He didn't write this. It says, there's a principle, it doesn't really matter because the principle's great. There's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is a proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. The principle is contempt prior to investigation. And I think that's what kills alcoholics. We're not willing to investigate another option. We don't want to give up on ourselves. And anybody had 
Anybody ever had like a book that you bought and you decided it wasn't going to be any good? And you kept it on the shelf. And then 10 years later, you say, well, I'll read that. And then you read it, it was really good. Anybody say that a movie that they didn't think was going to be any good? I'm not going to like that movie. I'm never going to watch it. Your wife makes you watch it five years later. You say, gee, that was great. Anybody have those experiences? I don't like this food. She made me eat beets last week. I've never eaten beets. They were bad. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Am I the only one with these strange ideas? But we all have a contemporary investigation. But what's going to kill me is if I don't believe that God can help me, if I don't believe that this program can help me, if I don't believe that if I go to Mark with a situation, talk to him, he can help me, then I, there's no hope for me. And so we'll open it up. I talk for seven minutes longer. Sorry. But we're going to uh, open it up and we'll talk about this. Now, next week, we're going to start on more about alcoholism, which is just a great chapter. And so uh, I'm always doing like these trailers.